So we're in the book of Ephesians. We're in our series called Spiritual Affluence. And if you remember, the definition of that is the abundance of spiritual opportunities, the abundance of opportunities in our spiritual lives. So as I stated the first week, if you remember way back to the first week, the first three chapters of Ephesians is about doctrine, what we believe. The, the final three chapters is about application, how we behave. So for the rest of this letter, we're going to learn how to apply the things that we learned in the first three chapters. So in chapter one, some of you might remember this. We learned that when we trust in the gospel message, we become part of the body of Christ. So when we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and that all who believe will have eternal life. When we trust that message, we become unified together in the body of Christ. So now in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we're going to learn how believers, how we as believers should be unified together. So there's four primary things that the Apostle Paul teaches us about how we should be unified or how we can be unified. And the first starts in our mind. It's our mindset. Some of you might remember in Romans chapter 12, it said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So, so much of our life, it starts, right, in our thought processes, in, in our mind. So in verse 1, we'll pick up there. It's, he says this, and it's in the handout as well. I, therefore, a prisoner for, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what Paul does in these first three verses is he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The calling that he is talking about is the unity of believers, believers being unified together in the gospel message. So the way that we do that, the way that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling is we need to first start with our mindset. We have to have the right mindset. So what Paul does is he names six traits or ways of thinking that we should approach each day and we should approach each interaction with other people. So five of these he actually mentions in Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit, being the fruit of the Spirit. So the first mindset that he talks about is this. We need to have a mindset of humility. Now, humility is putting Jesus first and others second and ourselves last. Like, it basically this it is the thinking of the needs thinking of the needs of others and thinking of what Christ desires before we think of our own needs now some of you might push back on this and be like well you got to take care of yourself to take care of other people and that is true you have to take care of yourself but i will suggest this no one has to teach you to think about yourself, okay? Does anybody have to teach you to think about yourself? Probably not, okay? So what humility is, is really thinking of yourself less. I know that most people think of themselves a lot, but what humility is, it's like basically asking you to think of yourself less, but what do you need to think of? Well, you need to think of God's plans and purposes for your life, and you need to think about the needs of others around you, especially those of the household of faith. The next mindset we need to have is a mindset of gentleness, not being harsh, being mild-tempered, and being kind. 
The next is a mindset he names of patience. That's the ability to wait. Patience is the ability to wait even in uncomfortable situations. Not losing your cool and fighting back. Some translations call this long-suffering, okay? That's almost like an easier way to remember it. Like if you're a patient, you're long-suffering. If you're a parent or have parented children, you know about long-suffering, don't you? Okay, so the next is a mindset of love. Bearing with one another in love, Paul says. Some translations call this forbearance, which means a res to restrain an impulse to do something. So basically, it's like this. Sometimes it's difficult not to act on how we feel. We're angry. We're upset. We're hurt. So we want to act on those feelings. But what Paul says is he says, bear with one another in love. People will hurt you. People will upset you. People will make you angry. And he's saying, when this happens, you need to think about what is the loving thing to do in this situation. What is the easy thing to do is respond to your feelings and lash out. The difficult thing to do is say, you know what? How can I love this person? Especially when you think about this. If you're hurt or offended by somebody, Think about that person for a second. We always taught our kids, we always said this, hurt people hurt people, right? Hurt people hurt people. Somebody's hurting, their natural inclination is to hurt other people. So maybe God put you in that person's life to actually be the kind, compassionate, loving person that doesn't respond like everybody else responds to them, giving them what they think they deserve or, or lashing back at them and giving them a taste of their own medicine. The next is a mindset of eagerness to maintain unity, Paul says. So most of the time, we're eager to do a few things, right? We're eager to prove our point. We're eager to get our own way. But Paul is saying our mindset should be eager to seek unity, which may mean this. We might not be able to prove our point. We might not get our own way. But Paul is saying, well, that doesn't matter. Be eager to be unified to agree with your fellow believers and be unified under the purpose that I've given you. And finally, a mindset of peace. We need to ask ourselves, will my actions bring peace to this situation? Will my actions bring peace to this situation? Think about this for a minute. I know uh, Chris prayed for this as well. This week we have an election week, right? We have an election week. People are already saying things like this. If it doesn't go my way, I'm leaving the country. Or they'll say things like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to freak out over this. Authorities are already planning that people will riot based upon what the outcome might be. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? How about this? No matter what happens, I'm going to be an agent of peace. You know what? That's the Christian perspective. No matter what happens, we as believers need to be an agent of peace. You know the reason why we need to be an agent of peace? Because no matter what happens, one thing that you and I both know will never change. 
Jesus is still the Savior, right? Jesus is still Lord of all. Jesus is still the God of this universe, and Jesus still provides us with salvation. No matter what happens on this earth, that's never going to change. So if we do not have a mindset that includes these six traits, it's going to be hard for us to be unified together And if it's hard for us to be unified together, here's what's going to happen. If we don't have unity among believers, we're not going to be able to achieve what God desires us to achieve in this community. As believers, we're not going to be able to achieve those things unless we're unified together. So Paul doesn't now just say we have to have this mindset. He gives us reasons why we have to have this mindset. So every day when you wake up, you have to have this mindset of unity with these six traits. But then he's saying, you know what? Here's the reason why you need to have this mindset of unity. So in the next two verses, Paul gives us a second point, which is this. You have to understand the reason for unity. So in verse four, he goes on and says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I want to break this down very quickly. One body, that is the body of Christ. That is all of us unified under Christ. He is the head and we are the body and that is the church. One spirit, that is the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. You and I, when we trust in Christ, all received the same Holy Spirit that unifies us all together. One calling, that's the call of the believer to bring the message of the gospel to others and be unified with one another so we can bring that message. One Lord, Jesus is the only Lord. You might hear our culture say things like, Jesus is one of many ways. Nope, Jesus is the only way, okay? There is one Lord and his name is Jesus. One faith, that is salvation through Jesus alone. Through Jesus alone, that's what Acts says, Acts 4.12. One baptism, this is probably a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit when a person believes. Not talking about the physical act of baptism that we celebrate when someone believes in Christ That's a symbolic thing to show other people that they believe in Christ. This one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which all believers receive when they receive Christ as their Savior. And then one God and Father. We all have the same Father in heaven. Do you know that's why Jesus, when he says, this then is how you should pray, he says, our Father, right? collectively are, not just my father. He's not just my God. He's our father. He's our God. We're unified in him. So Paul lists all this because he wants to remind us we're unified together under Christ, in Christ. So now that our mindset is for unity and we understand the reason for our unity is God himself, Paul then goes on in this passage and he teaches us the structure and the plan that is unified in order to, com- uh, to accomplish the will of God here on this earth. So now he's going to give us a structure and a plan. So Paul teaches next this. He says, basically he's saying, we need to respect the structure in order to have unity. Respect the structure in order to have unity. 
Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus had a job to do, and that was to follow the plan of the Father. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and he was sweating blood because he was under extreme stress? Basically, in that prayer, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So basically, we see Jesus Christ had a job to do. Jesus Christ had a calling. His plan from the Father was to come and lay down his life for us. So picking up in verse 7, it says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to, to men. Now it says in parentheses, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So now what this is speaking about is Jesus had a job to do, and it was to come, descend to the earth. Okay, when we celebrate Christmas, right, we celebrate the cute little baby Jesus, right, but realistically, Jesus came to the earth in human flesh. He already existed. So he came, and his express purpose was to lead the captives free. Where are the captives? Captives of our, of our sin. So when we trust in him, we're led free. We're redeemed from our sin. Our, Christ pays for our sins. But in doing so, he also gave gifts to people. Okay, These are spiritual gifts that he gives to us. Not like presents under the tree, but these are spiritual gifts that he gave to each, pe each person in the body of Christ to be used in the body of Christ to serve the body of Christ. It gives structure to the church and to the body of Christ. So now there are three places in the New Testament that speak about spiritual gifts. There are 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and here in Ephesians 4. I could probably do about 10 weeks on spiritual gifts. But briefly, I just want to say, through these three passages, there's an extensive list of gifts that we spiritually receive. These are not talents and abilities. So if you're good at something, maybe you're handy with your hands or you're good at athletics or something like that, it's not spiritual gifts, okay? They're talents and abilities. Spiritual gifts are gifts to be used to serve the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can function properly and impact the community and build up God's kingdom. So now here's what happens. Paul starts to talk about four gifts that are in regards to leadership in the church that provide structure and promote unity. You get that? These gifts are going to provide structure and promote unity. So verse 11 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, this, this list has to do with the gifts that guide the church. Now, the first two, and this might be controversial for some of you, it's not for me, and if you need to talk about this with me, you can give me a call or email me or whatnot, but the first two, apostles and prophets, are not in practice today since the New Testament is completed, okay? These were gifts 
for the foundation of the church during the New Testament time. Remember a few weeks ago I said like they couldn't be like, hey, turn to Ephesians 3 and you'll find this verse. Because they didn't have Ephesians 3. They were living Ephesians 3, okay? They were living the New Testament. So the apostles and the prophets were foundational gifts to bring structure to the church. Now, Jesus had many followers, but he only had the 12 apostles. And to define apostle, it is a, a divinely appointed representative, okay? These apostles were the witnesses of the resurrection. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. That's why the apostle Paul says that he was uh, uh, an apostle unnaturally born, because remember, Jesus came right to him, and he was like, yo, okay, here's what's going to happen, Paul. You're doing all this stuff against me. You're going to do stuff for me, and you're going to suffer for me. Remember that promise that nobody wants? Like, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. So the apostles, basically, they were laying the foundation for the church. They were the ones that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the very New Testament that we have. The next gift that I believe that was used during the early foundation of the church are the, are the prophets. Now, they're the ones that proclaim the word of God. Now, due to the fact that the early church did not have a complete New Testament, the church needed prophets that spoke the word of God by the Holy Spirit to the people. They knew what God's will was. I'll wait till that truck passes. <laughs> they were the ones who were speaking the word of God on behalf of God. Without the New Testament penned yet, they would speak the word of God. They knew what God's will was for them. They were prophets. So here's what happens. Apostles and prophets were leadership gifts for the foundation of the church. Now, again, like I said, this might be controversial. Some people will be like, well, aren't there prophets today? And here's the problem with statements like that. Aren't there prophets today or questions like that? Unfortunately, if somebody claims to be a prophet and they come and say, I have something new from God, here is what the result usually is. It's called a cult. Okay, it's a cult. And basically, we know Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, these are all people that say they had a prophet, somebody that brought something new from God, and they taught that and people followed. So if somebody comes here and says to me, Pastor Mike, I have something new from God, something that his word doesn't teach, but I have something new, I say, surveyed says, okay, this is not from God, okay? Because God has spoken in his word. So the next two gifts now are active today in the church, and these gifts promote unity. The first is or are evangelists. These are people that have the gift of winning lost people to Jesus. Every believer is called to preach the gospel, but there are certain people that have the gift of evangelism, the gift of leadership to lead people to know who Christ is. You might know some of these people in your life. They're the people that just have that gift. Really, like they can get any conversation talking about the Lord. They just, it just, it's just part of who they are. They're just very gifted <laughs> in doing that. The second is shepherds and teachers, and we're going to put that in one under pastors. Some translations call this pastors. Most theologians agree this is two gifts kind of in one. That's why some translations say pastors. The reason is pastors 
lead and feed. They shepherd, lead, and they feed their flock, teaching their flock. And when God gives someone to be a pastor, their role is to provide leadership in the church and to also teach biblical truth, okay, to feed the flock. That's why I say, I always say things like this. I don't, you don't come here to hear what I have to say, okay? You don't come here to hear stories and little quips that I can find on the internet. You come here to hear from God's word being taught. And the day that you come here and I start going rogue and not teaching those things, get rid of me, okay? Because I'm not doing what God has called me to do. The point here for all these gifts that Paul mentions is in order to have unity in the church. The apostles and prophets set the foundation, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, the pastors, they provide leadership, which is structure, which brings unity. So we need to respect that, that that's the way that God built the church. And here's what happens. When we don't respect that structure, it actually causes problems. Now, this is when people come to the church and they're not gifted or called in these positions of leadership and they want others to follow their lead and they get annoyed and they challenge those who are in leadership in those positions. And what happens is there's disunity. So finally, we see that when the structure is working properly, here's what happens. We grow in our faith and it actually brings unity. We actually grow in our faith, and it brings unity. So when leadership give, the leadership gifts described are working properly, here's what happens. Look at verse 12. It says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's what happens. Leaders equip the believers to do the work of the church to build up what? The body of Christ. To build up the church. Not to build ourselves up. Okay, none of these gifts are given for our own glory. They're given to bring glory to God. So basically, here's what happens. You and I are not done until the day the Lord calls us home or until he comes back. You get that? You and I are not done until the day the Lord calls us home or he comes back. That reminds me, and I probably even shared this before, but my youth pastor, Matt Mikulak, had a pastor mentor, and his name was Pastor Newton Conan. And I think he died at like 96 or 98 years old. But even till the very last days of his life, he was doing the work of the Lord. And someone got up at his funeral, at his funeral, that lived in his apartment building. Now, Pastor Conan would pray in his apartment. He was half blind and an old man, and he would sit there and pray. And this guy in his apartment building, just for some reason, as he said, just felt led to go knock on Pastor Conan's door. Didn't even know he was, knocked on his door. And Pastor Conan basically said, come in, I've been waiting for you. Well, he had been praying for the people in his apartment building, and this guy walked in and walked out as a believer in Christ. Till the day this man died, he was doing the work of the Lord. So for us as believers, unified together, till the day we die 
or until Jesus comes back, we are to be doing the work of the Lord. It's not about us. It's about him and his work. We are part of the body unified together to do the work of the Lord. So leaders equip the believers to do the work of the church, of the Lord. Now, the reason the teaching, the teaching and equipping happens is this. This is what's happening. This is happening. Teaching and equipping is happening. Paul says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Do you know what this is saying? This is saying that church leaders' jobs, my job, is to teach you what the word says so that the culture does not grab hold of you and mess you up. Okay, that's what it's saying. It's saying, so you're not blown all over the place by everything the world has to say. And if the culture messes you up with bad theology and lies to you, here's what happens. We become, no, we have no unity, okay? We're disunified. So Paul urges the leaders in the church. He says this. He says, listen, speak the truth in love, especially when many people are believing lies, he says, speak the truth in love. There are so many lies out there right now, but our job is to speak the truth in love, especially when many people are believing the lies of the culture. Now, Paul closes by saying this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what he's saying is when we work together and use our gifts in the body of Christ to work together, here's what happens. Growth happens. Well, what kind of growth? Well, spiritual growth, of course, but also numeric growth. More people are attracted. They see, wow, these people have something different than I do. These people have purpose. They have a faith. There's something going on in them that I want, that I'm attracted to. So together, we're called to grow and use our gifts and be unified in Christ. And as a church, we'll fulfill his calling and get the message out to this community.